Take a deep breath and let it out. You might not know it, but indoor air quality is a topic that affects all of us. At Renew Air, we're on a mission to educate listeners on indoor air quality and the factors that impact it. Welcome to Indoor Air Quality IQ. Hello and welcome to IAQ IQ, Indoor Air Quality and You. I'm Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the podcast. Now, if you've missed either of our previous episodes, make sure you go back and listen to those on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date with the latest on all things indoor air quality. Now, on our first episode with Nick Agopian, we talked about uh, indoor air quality and ventilation and how those two things go hand in hand, especially in light of current building trends where people are trading indoor air quality for tighter, more energy efficient buildings and things along those lines. So today we want to discuss how you can have both, how you can have increased ventilation and decrease your energy costs. And joining us today are three subject matter experts. They're going to break all of this down for us. First, we have John Schilling. He's the regional sales director at Renew Air. John, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks. Absolutely. And joining us once again is Nick Agopian. He is the vice president of sales and marketing at Renew Air. Nick, great to have you. Thank you. Good to be back. And finally, joining us is Nishant Kanapilli. He is the founder of Monaire. Nishant, thank you so much for joining us today. No, thank you for having me. Hi, everybody. Well, it's great to have all of you on. Nick, I want to start off, uh, for those who have missed either of our previous episodes of the show, can you summarize why ventilation is such an important topic in the short and in the long term? Absolutely. Thank you for the question. Um, Yes, ventilation has been around for millions of years. Um, We know that cavemen knew that they could uh, bring fire indoors if they can ventilate with the smoke. We knew that the Egyptian stone carvers could carve more efficiently and rapidly if they did that outside where it's much more well ventilated. Uh, ventilated uh, Ventilation has been around in homes and buildings since the early 1900s, and we've had different levels of ventilation. However, what's critical these days is the amount of ceiling integrity um, that we're mandating for homes and buildings. And we're making these buildings tighter and tighter so we do not have uncontrolled ventilation or uncontrolled air between the outside and the inside. As we make these structures tighter and tighter, in order to uh, lower energy costs for heating and cooling, uh, we've done something. We've sealed in all the contaminants that used to be ventilated because of uncontrolled air in concert with what was controlled air. Uh, But with the ceiling integrity where it is today, that uncontrolled air aspect is lost. And we have to look at not only mechanical ventilation, but increased mechanical ventilation. And and that's uh, critical not only for new applications, but also for retrofit applications. And with the uh, what we call the new world order being uh, post-COVID, we know that uh, ventilation um, and increased ventilation is the solution in reducing the number of uh, uh, transmitted type of diseases, specific when it comes to, to COVID. When we look at ventilation being something that people just don't take into consideration when they think about a building or, or a home, uh, we now realize that uh, ventilation is critical for life, uh, the physiological operation of the human body, and now more than ever, safety indoors. So, Nick, how does how do certifications and standards play a role in how people should view ventilation? Are there certain standards? Uh, are there certain certifications? And are there some that are maybe a higher level of certification uh, when it comes to uh, when it when it comes to safety? When it comes to thinking about the environment? Things along those lines. 
Sure. Uh, when people say we are building to code, uh, what's interesting is a lot of times people look at that and say, oh, we're getting something that's good. Actually, code is a minimum standard. There are standards bodies like ASHRAE uh, that write code or write standards that code adopts. And these standards are the minimum acceptable so that nobody goes to jail. However, when we look at certifications of different bodies, such as LEED or the WELL certification, or just in general, higher standards for higher performing buildings, minimum code has to be increased. Uh, for LEED, it's 30% more outdoor air, but nothing says that you can't go above that to 100% um, more outdoor air, or basically doubling the amount of outdoor air. But when you look at... Um, standards such as 90.1 where energy and the energy profile of a building becomes critical for acceptance, then at that point, energy recovery ventilation is the only way to rationalize the increased ventilation rate or else it becomes just in general too expensive to operate to heat and cool that outdoor air. So ERVs are the best way to rationalize increased ventilation in order to maintain the electrical profile or the load profile of a building. Well, you took me exactly where we wanted to go next, and that was talking about ERVs. And so, John, uh, let's let's discuss ERVs. Can you break down what an ERV core can do and whether or not it can help achieve the goal of bringing in and increasing ventilation while also decreasing your ventilation energy costs? So any building that has an exhaust airstream, which by code they all do, as Nick talked about, um, we can recover the energy from that outgoing exhaust airstream by running it through a heat exchanger. On the other side, we have incoming supply air that in Miami is very humid and hot, or that in Minnesota is very cold and dry, and it passes through the heat exchanger. We're not mixing those two air streams. We are simply transferring energy uh, from the outgoing cool, dry air uh, and using it to pre-cool and pre-dehumidify the incoming hot, humid air. Uh, so the simplest uh, way to describe it is a heat exchanger with two fans in a box. And we should point out that our technology is a static device. There are no moving parts. Uh, so it's very simple as far as maintenance is concerned. We just want to make sure that we have our filters changed. And if we do get any buildup uh, on the heat exchanger, it's very simply cleaned off using a shot back uh, with a bristle brush, brush attachment. You know, ERVs have been around for many, many years, actually decades. Uh, they were first used in industrial processes in the 1950s. Um, to retain heat uh, in those processes and reduce the energy load. They began getting applied widely to commercial buildings in the mid 80s. So this is not a new technology. And mind you, in the mid 80s, we were coming off of an energy crisis, but we were also becoming aware of sick buildings, buildings that had problems with mold and mildew and so forth. Um, so the ERV really serves two purposes. As Nick talked about ventilation, we need to get all the pollutants that are generated in the space out um, and at the same time, if we can recover just the energy from that exhaust airstream and use it to precondition incoming ventilation air, then it's a win-win situation. So um, to, to recap just a little bit, uh, especially in the COVID, uh, post-COVID environment, you know, the surest, safest way to um, address that issue is to exhaust polluted air. There's all sorts of other technologies out there and air purification devices and so forth, but we know that ventilation works. So we're going to take air that in the summertime has been cooled and dehumidified in Miami, and we're going to exhaust it. So we're along with that polluted air, we're also exhausting energy. Contra on the other side of it, we're bringing in 
that hot, humid air in Miami, and we're adding that load uh, to our air conditioning system. So if we can recover the energy from the exhaust airstream and pretreat the incoming outside air with just that energy, we save a huge amount uh, of tonnage on our air conditioning system. And it should be noted as well that in areas where there are four seasons, um, we get even better energy recovery pictures, and also in areas where there's a very uh, cold winter time. Um, so temperatures in the wintertime are zero degrees or in the negatives, uh, you can get a lot of um, uh, very quick payback and a lot of energy recovery in those areas. Um, so it's not just for a hot, humid climate or not just for a cold climate. Um, so the point being, ERVs recovers energy from the exhaust airstream uh, and uses it to pretreat incoming outside air, whether that air is cold and we warm it up or whether that air is hot and humid and we cool it and dehumidify it. So two purposes, ventilation and uh, energy savings. Absolutely. Well, I'm in Texas, and so it's all about that AC in the summertime, and that is a, a very, very crucial thing. Uh, but, but you're absolutely right. So, John, how much can you really increase your ventilation rate with an ERV? Uh, can you give us a number or a ballpark there? Absolutely. Um, now, your typical rooftop unit, whoever's that may be sitting on a roof, can handle about 20% outside air. But if you start to increase that ventilation rate more than that, um, the only way you can do that and use a, if you will, standard rooftop unit is to add an ERV. So now you can increase your ventilation rate to 40%, 50%, 60%, and that unit will still be able to handle um, the increased outdoor air load. Um, we talk about as well, we can actually size an ERV to do 100% outside air. So in other words, all of the air going through, for instance, a packaged rooftop unit could be outside air. Um, that is not an optimal way to address outside air load, but it is possible. Um, so I guess as a rule of thumb, when we look at COVID-19, and, and Nick mentioned too, new building considerations were designing from a blank drawing. Now you have equipment that's on site that has been sized for, let's say, something like 20% outside air, um, and you need to increase the ventilation rates, then you are forced to use an ERV. So Typically, we might see 40%, 50%, or 60% increase in ventilation air. So I think the, the question then becomes, it, there are numerous benefits, as we've outlined, uh, increased ventilation um, and, and decreasing your, your energy costs. But what can be the full and total economic impact of an ERV? Nishant, can you speak to what that Im economic uh, impact can be, uh, both in the short and long term? Oh, absolutely. So the benefit of an ERV, in addition to allowing people to improve indoor air quality, as Nick talked about, to meet standards, and as John talked about, an ERV recovers both forms of heat sensible and latent. So if you look at a typical building, Tyler, whether it is an educational school, hospital, retail, the heating and cooling takes up a substantial portion of that energy spent. And what is interesting is if you now take a look at that energy spend of heating and cooling and see how much of that is really related to ventilation, even for a typical building that John talked about, whether it's 20% outside air, 30% outside air, even in that case, you know, you're looking at out of the heating and cooling portion of it, about half of that is to heat and cool the outside air. So you said you're in Dallas, uh, you know, we are in uh, Wisconsin. When it's really cold outside today in Wisconsin, when you bring that air in, you're going to have to heat it up. You have to heat it up from zero degrees, 32 degrees to 70 degrees. So from an economic perspective, the benefit of an ERV is substantial. So you could, for a brand new building, 
you're looking at somewhere in up to 65. So for a new construction, you're looking at about 65% up to in energy savings by using an ERV compared to when you don't use an ERV and you're, right, uh, you're having the rooftop equipment uh, try to heat and cool that air. But what's interesting is, you know, so if people say 65%, uh, what does that mean, you know? So I'm, I'm gonna try and break it down into a couple of other metrics you asked about it. So in terms, of, so let's take a 2000 CFM unit. If it's a 2000 CFM outside air unit, if you put a 2000 CFM ERV, then what you're really looking at, and this is for Minnesota, the numbers comparable based on weather, but they always uh, hover around close to that number. So for a 2000 CFM ERV on your building, your internal rate of return is close to 60%. So I look at that and I said, I just looked at the bank, my interest rate of my bank account this morning, it's like 0.25. That's interest rate I'll get if I put my money in the bank. If you look at historically at the stock market, you're getting what, 10%, S&P 700, adjusted for inflation, 7%. So you have something where if you put money in an ERV, you're gonna get back 70% return on your money. I mean, that, that kind of return is, is, I would say, darling of many people who are looking to put the money in things that return money. So from a return perspective, you're getting about 60%. From a payback, when you pay initially for the ERV, when do you make it back? About less than two years. So if you, whatever money you spend on an ERV, a typical ERV will pay back in today's energy rates, most across the country in less than two years. And what's even interesting on that top of that is after it's paid back, right, Tyler, you put it, it pays back, then for the next 15 years that this equipment is running, you are saving. You're, otherwise, you'd be spending money on energy that you're not spending. So for a 2000 CFM unit, which is a small unit, that over a 15 year period, the net present value, so discounting the money that you get in the 15 years in today's dollars. So not in, not in 15 year dollars, but in today's dollars, that equates to $31,000. So if you really look at all these metrics, you know, the, the problem with metrics, it's like very hard to Related. So the way I look at it is, I'm going back to a, if I go back to from a 2000 CFM to a school, an elementary school, of course, the same percentage, 65% roughly in energy savings, brand new school or new construction school, payback in less than two years. For elementary school of 500 kids average, you're getting about 100,000, a little over 100,000 back to you that you can spend on other things by investing in an ERV. So the economic benefits of an ERV are many. There's so, any, any way you look at it, there is so much that an ERV gives you by implementing it in your buildings. And I would, I would like to just tag on to that for a moment. He's talking about K through 12 school situations. In the first cost expenditure, when they're looking at the budget to build a new school and they include ERVs, with whatever their systems are, uh, rooftop units or water source heat pumps, et cetera. Um, one of the first things that will happen if they run out of budget is, well, let's get rid of these ERVs. Well, that's fine, but as we've mentioned, ERVs save energy. So if you remove the ERV, now you're bringing in raw outside air and you must upsize the equipment that you're putting on this school. So not only are you going to pay more for equipment with bigger tonnage, but you lose all the savings that uh, Nishant just talked about. You lose that income stream, if you will, that earn internal return on your investment. But of course, CapEx budgets are separate from operations budgets. 
So there's always a, a battle going on, not just from us to the client, there's a battle going on within the client's um, financial structure as well. If ERV happened to be a stock ticker on the market, that stock would start to rally, rally all day long and continue to rally. The financial metrics out of an ERV are truly, truly outstanding. Even though there is that conflict between the, the, the operating budget and the capital expenditure budget, the two have to talk together because the operating budget relates to cash flow and cash flows is, is part of the most critical metric in any kind of business in order for a business to excel and, and succeed. And ERVs help in doing that by improving cash flow. Uh, and, and, that's, and that's critical and should be a discussion up front when we are looking at projects in the uh, capital stage. Well, I think that is a that is an extremely strong argument for why ERVs are so important, why they can be so beneficial, both in terms of health, as uh, as Nick mentioned, as well as savings, which uh, which John and Nishant really broke down uh, in very good detail. And so, John, Nick, Nishant, thank you so much for joining us today here on the podcast and explaining a little bit more about ERVs and their importance. Thanks for having us. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. And everyone, thank you for tuning into this episode of IAQIQ, Indoor Air Quality and You. We are thrilled to have you along for this episode. Make sure to go out and check out previous episodes of the podcast. And while you're there, subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date with the latest from Renew Air, the latest in thought leadership on indoor air quality and the importance of it in today's day and age. And of course, we'll be back soon with those episodes of the podcast. But until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.